Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The day of the Lord cannot come until the departure comes first. And then what happens after the departure? Because I'm just blotting out the word rebellion here in mine and replacing it with departure. And then what happens next? The man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. So there we have the Antichrist. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Daniel chapter 8. Now here's Pastor Brian. We know the seed is ultimately pointing further down the road to Jesus. And Paul says that in Galatians when he speaks about the promise was to Abraham and his seed, singular. Paul says this. The promise was to Abraham and his seed, singular, not seeds, plural, to his seed one who is Christ. So although you could legitimately say that Isaac is the seed of Abraham, the promised seed, Jacob is the promised seed, and Judah is the promised seed, David's the promised seed, but they're all pointing to an ultimate fulfillment. And so again, here we have a near fulfillment in Antiochus Epiphanes, but we have the distant fulfillment in this person that we call the Antichrist. Now flip over to 2 Thessalonians for a moment. And this is, this is one of these passages that sometimes, it sometimes catches me off guard because I forget that it's in here and I think, oh my goodness, I forgot about this. Like I said, you tend to just think of, like when you're talking about the Antichrist, you just tend to think of the book of Revelation, right? Even though the word Antichrist is never used in the book of Revelation. You know, the only place the word Antichrist is used is used by John the Apostle. John uses it in his, in his first letter, and he refers to the fact that their Antichrist is coming. You've heard that Antichrist is coming, but many Antichrists have already gone out into the world. So the word Antichrist means someone who is, instead of Christ, a replacement for Christ, or someone who is against Christ. And in this case, of course, it's both. But look what Paul says here. In the second chapter... He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter, as asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. So the Thessalonians... uh, the word had spread that the day of the Lord had already come, and they were panicking over that. Paul says, don't believe it. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the day of the Lord is, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord refers to the day of God's judgment that will lead to the ultimate establishing of his kingdom. So whenever you find the the phrase, the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, 
Most of the time, that's what it's talking about. So when Paul is referring to the day of the Lord here, that's what he's talking about. So he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until... Now, my Bible says the rebellion comes first. Your Bible probably says, if you use a New King James, it probably says the falling away comes first. Is that right? Say falling away. So the word here is, it's the word departure. That's, that's the word. If you go back to the earliest English translations, they just translated it that way, until the departure come first. So the rebellion here in, in my NIV translation is really, it's an interpretation rather than a translation. So because the word just means departure, but the translators are interpreting it to be a departure from God. And that's the way most translations interpret it. That's why it says the falling away comes first. Um, the word is apostasy. Or apostasia is the Greek way. The word apostasia means simply departure. Now, it can mean a departure from God, but it doesn't have to mean a departure from God because it just means departure. And the only other time it's used in the New Testament is in Acts, where the leaders in Jerusalem, they hear this rumor about Paul that he teaches Jews everywhere among the Gentiles to depart from Moses. So there it's translated depart. And the context there is departing from Moses, so it would be a religious departure. But my point is it doesn't have to be a religious departure because the, another form of the same word is used when it speaks about that elderly woman, Anna, who served God in the temple day and night with fasting and prayers and did not depart. It's the same word, just a different form of it. So last Sunday, we talked about, we talked about the rapture, but remember, if you were here, I, I wanted to emphasize that the two passages that speak of this, this same event, only the Thessalonian passage is the one that we draw the word rapture from. The first Corinthians passage, there, there's no word there that would describe a rapture. 1 Corinthians 15 is simply describing this translation. We, we are being translated from our present state without dying to our glorified state. The Thessalonians passage has the, the word rapture is derived from there, as I pointed out, because it says caught up. That's part of it as well. We will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Maybe you remember I said the word caught up, the Greek word harpazo, but the Latin Vulgate translation translates that word something like rapturo or raptus. There's, I've read like five different ways it's supposedly pronounced, but that's the idea. So, so that's where we get the, the term rapture from. What is the rapture? The rapture is a departure. So I've argued this before. I've written a little book on it. Some people like it. Some people think I really went off the rails on this. But my point is this. Paul is telling us 
that the day of the Lord is going to come, which is the day of God's judgment, which we commonly call the tribulation, and understandably, because Jesus said that there will be a time of great tribulation such as never been before there was anyone on earth and never will be again. So that's why we call the tribulation. So Paul says that the day of the Lord will not come unless the departure comes first. So we didn't address this Sunday morning because it wasn't really part of the context, but the question arises about this translation from not experiencing death, you know, but, but just immediately being translated into the glorified state. When does that happen? Well, in one sense, nobody knows when it happens. But the other question is, when does it happen in relation to the final judgment? And this is where the debate comes in, whether it happens before the final judgment or in the midst of the final judgment or at the end of the final judgment. And based on what Paul says here in 2 Thessalonians, I think if we just take it as departure and not make it into a rebellion or something like that, then he's telling us that the, the departure comes before the day of the Lord and before the man of sin comes to power. So that's why I still believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. I had a friend I was talking to the other day who, is, who has been the most devoted prophecy teacher in all of the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, he surpassed Pastor Chuck in, in his passion and love for prophecy and his continued teaching of Bible prophecy. Now, I've said to you guys before, you've probably figured it out by now, uh, this is not an emphasis of mine. But because I don't emphasize it, people think, oh, Brian's changed his position. He's no longer Calvary Chapel. He doesn't believe the right things about it. No, I actually still believe the same things, but it's just not an emphasis. But anyway, this friend of mine who is the ultimate prophecy-minded person and prophecy teacher, he says to me, he says, now, do you think you know, after all these years and looking at the passage, uh, do, do you think it's still like, you know, he's saying, do you think it's still pre-trib or do you have any flexibility there? Now, the reason he's asked me that is because he's kind of starting to change his mind. And I think if anybody in the world would have never changed their mind about this, he would be the last person I would guess who would change their mind. But he's so caught up in all the prophecy stuff and he sees everything that's going on. And so he says, well, I don't know, the Abrahamic Accords, they might be, the, they might be that covenant. I said, sorry, I don't think so. And so in response to his question, I said, yes, I still believe after all these years that even though it's not as clear as sometimes we pretend like it is, and even though it's a little more complicated than we might think, I still think it's the best way to understand the event in relation to the tribulation. I still think that the best way to understand it is that the day of the Lord cannot come until the departure comes first. And then what happens after the departure? Because I'm just blotting out the word rebellion here in mine and replacing it with departure. And then what happens next? The man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. So there we have the Antichrist. 
So you get what I'm saying? Paul says the day of the Lord, which is the day of judgment, which is the tribulation, and the man of sin who is instrumental in all of this cannot, none of this can be set in motion until the departure comes first. So that says to me, the church will be taken out of the world before these things transpire. But that wasn't even my intention to get off on that, but I just saw the word there and I thought, well, you know, might as well talk about it. But let me just say this too. Why, why would they translate it rebellion? Like we said, the, the word doesn't mean that. But there is the idea that there's going to be people departing from the faith. Paul says in the last days, people will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons and so forth. But that has been happening all throughout church history, going right back to the apostolic times. And when Paul says in the last days, when he warns about these things happening, he's talking to Timothy. He's telling Timothy things to look out for. Paul understands the last days have already begun in his time. And the last days are going to be marked by people departing from the faith. Now, is there going to be a massive departure from the faith toward the end where Christians leave the faith? Maybe, but that's happened all throughout history. So I just think that that's not anything that we can be dogmatic about. As a matter of fact, I think there's more true biblical Christianity in the world today than there's ever been in, in any other time in history. There's more Christians in the world today than there's ever been. And of course, there's more people in the world, right? You'd say, so that's a no-brainer. But per capita, I would argue that there are more Christians today. And so, but anyway, here we go. Back to the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction or perdition. So listen to what it says. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship. Remember, that's what Antiochus Epiphanes did. So he named himself Epiphanes. The people around him called him Epidmenes, which sounded similar, but meant madman. <laughs> now, but I mean, it wasn't an unheard of idea to think that a ruler or a king was a god. I mean, Alexander the Great claimed that for himself. The pharaohs claimed that for themselves. The Babylonian kings saw themselves as a god. So this wasn't completely unique to Antiochus. It's a pattern, but that pattern will culminate and come to its fullest manifestation in this person who will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or worship. So what's implied here is a universal influence. No one's ever had that. But this person will have that. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, 
proclaiming himself to be God. Now, Revelation chapter 13 tells us about the two beasts. Remember the beast that rises up out of the sea and the beast that rises up out of the land. The first beast, the Antichrist, the second beast, the false prophet, and the false prophet makes an image of the first beast. It's placed in the temple and everyone is commanded to worship that image. So that's what Paul's, Paul is giving us his version of that right here in this letter to the Thessalonians. So he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back. Holding who back? Holding back this man of sin, this son of destruction. So that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow. Remember what it said there in Daniel, that he will rise up against the prince of princes. Who could the prince of princes be other than the Messiah? The prince of princes is another way of saying this is the king of kings. So he's going to rise up this, this figure that Daniel's prophesying. He's going to rise up against the prince of princes. He's going to rise up against the king of kings, but he is going to be overthrown with the breath of the Lord's mouth and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. Wow. Now, the coming of the lawless one is in accordance with Satan. So all of these little mini, like John said, there have been many antichrist all throughout history. Many who have opposed Christ. But there's coming this one who is directly empowered by Satan. And he will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that they will all be condemned to have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So this is just a, a parallel to what Daniel is seeing in this vision. Now, as we go now through the rest of Daniel, Everything is going to center around these, these times, the times of these northern and southern kings, the Seleucid and the Ptolemies, and the time of the end. And it's going to toggle sort of back and forth. And when we get to the next chapter, we have the great, great prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel. And the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel is really, in so many ways, it's the key to everything. If we understand what those 70 weeks 
are referring to, and if we understand the time frame that's given around those 70 weeks, your understanding of that will make or break your understanding of prophecy. So if you understand it incorrectly, everything remains a mystery. If you understand it correctly, the puzzle comes together. And I think it can be understood. And I think God intends that we understand it. And we're going to dive into it and it's going to be great. But the first portion of the ninth chapter, it begins with a prayer that a prayer of repentance that Daniel prays over his people. And then in the 10th chapter, we are given tremendous insight into the spiritual battle. We'll talk about that. And then the 11th chapter is a radical deep dive into the period of the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. And it's the most amazing historical chapter in so many ways in all of scripture. It's absolutely fascinating, astounding. Because that period of time that we commonly call the silent years between the last uh, prophecy, say the prophecy of Malachi and the arrival of John the Baptist in the wilderness, there are so many things that happen in that period that we are not necessarily aware of because we haven't spent a whole lot of time studying that time, but many significant developments uh, occurred there that help us to understand why things were the way they were when we get to the first pages of the New Testament. So I listened to, a, um, I have a, a podcast I listened to by a historian, theologian guy, uh, Australia, and he did a with another um, scholar on the subject, he did a, a whole teaching on this intertestamental period. So the period between Malachi and John the Baptist is about a, a you know roughly a 500 year period. I mean, think about 500 years. How much, what in the world was going on in those 500 years? Now they're called the silent years because there is no prophetic voice like there had been in all of these previous generations. So Malachi is the final word. And after Malachi prophesies in the 400s sometime, there's, so there's no other prophet like him that rises up. But there are extraordinary things that happen during that next 400 or so years that set the stage for what will happen when Jesus comes onto the scene. And it's absolutely astounding. And so when we look at the 11th chapter, we'll probably let it bleed over a little bit into the New, into the New Testament era just to, to tie those things together. And then, of course, the, the, the 12th chapter of Daniel is that, that final chapter that takes us out to the end, to the coming again of the Lord. And... So Daniel is, is a great, great prophetic book. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is the beginning of a new year, and I think one of the greatest things about the gospel is the truth of the grace of God, that we're saved by grace, that we live in His grace, that ultimately we are brought home through His grace. And so this month, we are offering a great little booklet by Paul David Tripp, 40 Days of Grace. So what a great way to start the new year, taking a deep dive into the grace of God. And so if you would like to get your copy, let us know, and we'll be happy to send you 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. Again, this month's resource is a book titled 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp. You can order the book 40 Days of Grace by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book 40 Days of Grace by Paul David Tripp to help you better understand that grace is more than you think. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.